All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey guys, Tim here. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Or maybe you've got one that just doesn't seem to be growing the way you want it to. I'm going to be teaching an online course to share everything I've learned about growing Dropping the Gloves. In this course, we'll be covering how to start your own show and plan your content, monetize your podcast, build an audience, create a brand identity, leverage audience feedback, and analyze data in a way that's actionable. Here's the catch, though. You can find information about basically all of those things from a simple Google search. So I'm not going to share boring how-tos or best practices. Instead, I'll be sharing real stories from our experience with growing the show and the important lessons we learned along the way. Mistakes we made, what we wish we did differently, and how we turned a fun side project into a real business. And most importantly, how you can apply these lessons to your own podcasts. It's a 90-minute class that you can attend either of two nights, October 23rd and November 14th. You can find a link to more information in the bios of any of our social media pages, but also feel free to message me if you have any questions. I hope to see you there. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Tim's smiling. We just had to restart taping because there was some some interesting comments in the first five minutes. So we started again. Tim, take two. How are you doing? I don't think in the 500 plus episodes we've done, just the two of us, we've had to start over like that ever. Maybe ever. So that's kind of fun. It was prompted by you. You're like, we can't do this. Yeah, let's stop. Cut. Yeah, let's do it again. But anyways, we appreciate everybody. We're going to be back better in a big way. we got a holiday weekend. That's exciting. Tim Columbus Day is coming up. What are your big plans for the long weekend? Um, Probably a lot of work. A lot of work. No plans. What do you mean work? I just got stuff to do. I have I have things, John. Unlike Tell you, I have you doing. four jobs. So, What are your work? jobs? I work full-time in a marketing agency. I have this podcast. I have a freelancing business and if I sell books. Writer, if you say writer or bookseller. <laughs> I sell books. <laughs> That's exciting. Good for you. You get so many rods in the fire. That's nice. For me, the long weekend, it's it's going to be garbage weather. So we probably won't do anything. You know what was nice last night? Danielle's my wife. <laughs> as I think all you listeners know, I, I should have said Danielle, my wife. <laughs> Not Danielle's my wife. Last night, her parents all of a sudden were like, "Let's, we'll take the kids. You guys go out and have a nice date night. So it was nice. We drove all the kids over there early, 4 p.m. 
and we went out for a nice like early bird special dinner. It was really good. Had a nice dinner, had a nice chance to catch up and talk because with kids, it's hard. You can't really, you can't really spend time with each other. It's it's important to invest in your relationships. You know what I mean? But we were, we got picked up the kids by six 45 bed by eight. It was, it was great. I go to bed so early now. It's embarrassing. Where'd you Absolutely go? Absolutely embarrassing. Rare bird. It's the only place I go to. Love rare bird. It's my favorite spot. If you're in Traverse city and I'm not getting paid for this, go to rare bird. The burgers are fantastic. They have a really good chicken sandwich. And I loved it. We, the three it's of us went there one time. Do you remember? You mean worst, worst trip <laughs> I ever had there. Just kidding. Okay. No, yeah. it's a lot of fun. That's my spot. I, yeah. When you come back to him, we'll have to go there. Anyways, moving on as quick as we can. We we debuted the new backdrop here. Obviously, you can see behind me, Tim's still very under, underwhelming. And then it's we understated, uploaded. understated. Let's. Go it's ahead. a different way to say underwhelming. It's It's been good. This is our second episode. And I wanted to share some of the reactions from some of our fans on YouTube because this is a new avenue for us. You know, mostly it's only been podcasts and we do our little shorts and things on social media. But this is something new for us. We're dipping our toe in that little realm. And people, they were excited. So here, here is some comments from some of our listeners. Some of the many comments we had, thousands and thousands of comments. I, I think we got double digits, which is exciting. The best one I, I had came from Call Pompa 3198. He said, Tim has the voice of a 13-year-old boy. Thoughts, Tim? You know what? That one comes along every so now and then now and then. I don't I don't think I have a very high voice, but call Pompa. How about now? Is that better? But does you, that like really now. cut you to the core? Two people like that one too. So it's like three people saying it. Um, no, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. No, it might have a few years ago, but like I've got some thick skin now. I'm doing this for a while. So <laughs> there are some yeah. comments that really would cut me to the core if people knew about them. I would, it would, they would affect me and they would hurt. Something that about your seems hair. like, well, no, something like, cause when I played, people said I looked like a certain actor. And I really didn't care for it. And so <laughs> if people were to, and I appreciate it if you would not bring it up, because I think, you know, the actor, but um, I don't, I yeah, don't. yeah, good. But that would really irk me. So what some other ones, Tim, what are some other good comments? Because there are, our listeners are very funny. I enjoy it. Uh, another one from Jay Brower. I'm surprised Tim doesn't have his LARPing gear in the background. Maybe someday we actually talked about that. So. Tim does have um, a Nazi-era helmet that you could hang in the back, right? World War II American helmet. So if you want to call that is Nazi Is it American? Era, okay. Okay, then go and for that. And is it a real one or um, like a LARPing one? It's a real one. I don't LARP. Um, but I, haven't done, I haven't done this in many years. Another comment here. Man, I didn't expect Tim's handsome face to go with his voice. Kind of a double backsided compliment, right? like handsome face but another comment about the voice it's going to make me maybe i am going to be insecure about it i haven't decided yet i didn't even notice your voice until these comments but it is a little high it's a little (laughs) nasally oh man and then they said i'm 7.9 out of 10 which i don't mind that's a that's a good day for you yeah would look at it again damn right thank you nick quaint well i would have rather appreciated if it was a woman but hey, I'll take it where I can get it. Thank you, John, everybody, for listening Danielle on your YouTube. Wife. Danielle is True. your wife. But you want to look good. Okay. Right? 
you want to look good for everybody. You want to, but mostly my wife. But anyways, thank you everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Check us out on YouTube. It's uh, it's neat. We can respond. You can see our faces. You can see Tim's face and realize I'm not doing a podcast with a teenage boy, which a lot <laughs> of people have thought. Anyways, moving on back to the NHL. Interesting comments by Gary Bettman coming out this week. Everybody has known about the salary cap the last four to five years. It's been flat COVID and debt, and we got to pay back and billions of dollars and the players need to pay it back before we raise the cap. Yada, yada, yada. While all of that has been paid off, most likely there's a couple 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 million still left yet to pay, but that's supposedly going to be paid off by the end of the season. Good for the players. That's a, that's a lot of money. Anyways, Gary Bettman has said, the cap could potentially raise next year upwards of $5 million. Right now, it's 83.5. Rumors are it's going to be in the $87, $88 million range, Tim. What do you think about this? I want to know your opinion because I, I obviously have formed mine already, and it's it's locked in stone. As a person, and this is where you always take offense to this, I know the inner workings of how this stuff works because I was a part of multiple negotiation committees and this and that, blah, blah, blah. What do you think about this, Gary Bettman coming out this early in the game and saying this? This early in the game and saying that? That's a good question. I haven't really thought about the timing of it. Um, it feels like it probably puts pressure on the players. I feel like everything he does is is a negotiation tactic, right? Um, whether it's stuff he says or stuff he doesn't say or things he responds to. So I feel like it's probably a play by him. I hadn't really thought of it that way. 4.5 is nice. I think some people were hoping for more, um, but it's a step in the right direction, I would think. Do you feel like these comments aren't made in, in, in good faith? Well, I much like he said this last year. Remember how he's always had these projections and this and that, and he he's hopeful. And then it doesn't come to fruition. And I don't know why he goes out on a limb and does these sort of projections. It gets everyone excited. It gets the players excited. It gets everybody talking about the game and how great it's going to be. And we're going to have this much more money. And then it just falls flat. I don't know why he does this. It doesn't make sense to me. If it if it raises 4.5, great. Last year, the, the league took in record high revenues. I think it was $5.9 billion the league brought in. And this that was huge coming from COVID when they were down to $2 and $3 billion. And they were losing money, hence why the players had to pay back hundreds of millions of dollars back to the owners. Because people listening, I know I've talked about this before. The owners have in place an escrow system. If they lose, just say I'm the Florida Panthers owner. At the end of the season, I do my books. I say, oh, you know what? I lost $87 million. They say, here you go. Here's our paperwork. They give it to the escrow company who holds this money in escrow. And the escrow company gives them $87 million. That happens for every owner at the end of every season. That's why when I played, we were constantly auditing teams. We audited all of the bottom 10 teams who every year said they lost money. And we'd have to go through their books and we'd say, oh, well, you're not reporting your concessions. Oh, you're not reporting your parking lot stuff. Oh, you're not reporting this, this, and this, because they would try to separate entities from their ownership umbrella. They would say, oh, I own the hockey team. I pay the players. I pay this. I pay rent. I pay this. They would include all of the debts. They would never include all the positive stuff. Oh, well, the, the concessions is owned by somebody else. That somebody else is a different LLC under that guy's name. So all the teams did this. And you it was maddening because all these teams would just report so many losses. And as a player, 
you're paying for their mistakes or you're paying for them to be shady. So we audited the hurricanes. We got a couple hundred million dollars back. We audited the coyotes all the time. We audited all these teams and it, and it was frustrating. So this is the frustrating part for players where you're paying for their mistakes. Anyways, getting back to the salary cap, it's good. It, it, at the end of the day, it's going to be good for hockey. It's good for players. I don't understand why Gary Bettman's saying this, because if the season doesn't go as planned, if Toronto doesn't have a successful season, if Montreal, Rangers, Chicago, the big five, the big six, if they don't have a successful season, this salary cap won't raise as much as he's thinking it's going to. So I don't know. I, I think he likes just going out and telling good news. When Gary usually does a press conference, it's bad news and people boo him and hiss him and critique him and this and that. When he has a chance to come out and say, hey, we got some exciting stuff coming on the horizon. This is good. We're going to raise the cap four, five, six million dollars. Biggest cap raise in NHL history. It's going to be great. I think he enjoys that and he likes the, the positive press that comes from it. But it's a huge deal, Tim. It's a massive deal. When you look at GMs, when you look at how this offseason, big free agents remained unsigned for long periods of time and they had to settle for one-year deals, the reason is there was no money in the system. This is going to open up the coffers for a lot of GMs, players like this, free agents are going to love this. If I'm a free agent entering my first round of free agency this year from a 26-year-old forward, I'm going to cash in cha-ching, cha-ching. If I'm Jamie Drysdale, Trevor Zegers, we'll talk about them in a little bit. This is good news for us. There's more money in the system. so. It's it's good all around. More money in the system is good for players, good for the game. But it's just weird how he talks about it because he's well, let us down so many times, right? Going back to the um, how how important it is that the big cities and the big markets have successful years. Obviously, there's all kinds of conspiracy stuff about Connor Bedard going to Chicago, even though they were what third and and statistically to get it. Is yep. there any case to be made for like okay, Anaheim, you lost the lottery to go get this franchise player? But Bedard going to Chicago is still going to help you, Anheim, because of what we're talking about now. Well, I think it'll help the GMs, and yeah, they'll get more money. Because when you look at the the list of the the operating income, the revenue from teams, it's the who's who of the big markets. There's no small market teams at the top of those lists. It's Toronto, Montreal, Chicago, New York, L.A., Edmonton, Seattle has surprised everybody. They've jumped into the top ten. Vegas, Detroit. It's the large market teams that carry the weight for the NHL. And when you look at the bottom revenue making teams in the NHL, it's small market, it's teams in the South, it's teams that have small ranks, those types of deals. It's Arizona, it's Florida, even though they made the Stanley Cup playoffs this year, they lost money. It's San Jose, it's Carolina, who's had successful teams throughout their inception. It's Buffalo, it's Winnipeg, it's Tampa Bay, Tim. Tampa Bay still is a bottom tier team when it comes to net revenue every single year. And they've won the Stanley Cup two times in the last four years. Imagine when that team starts to struggle. You think the fans are going to show up? You think they're going to make money? It's Columbus. Those are the bottom 10 teams. Small market, small ranks, not a lot of ticket revenue. Those are the teams that are going to benefit from having Connor Bedard, like you said, go to Chicago because Chicago, all of a sudden, they made $100 million last year. They're doubling their uh, their ticket prices this year. They're going to maximize on this big time. They're going to jump into the first place operating income this year if they're going to have a successful team. Same with Montreal. They're a bad team, but they still make more than every other team in the league because they sell their tickets. They sell out their press boxes. All the corporate sponsors are there because they want to be associated with the Montreal Canadiens. These smaller market teams don't have that. So, yeah, 
maybe they're, if I'm Gary, I'm fixing the the draft every single time, the lottery draft. Why, why would you want a Connor Bedard to go wallow away in a small market team? If you want to have a successful franchise, if you want to have a successful league, you put him in Trump, you put him in LA, you put him in the Rangers, put him in Edmonton. It's smart business. I don't want to see my first overall pick with the Florida Panthers. But what about Ovechkin and Crosby? I know that Pittsburgh had been a big market team, that they were a big struggling team at the time, and Washington wasn't a big market team at the time. And then look how they they turned them into big markets. Well, Pittsburgh's always been good, Tim. And I think Washington isn't a big market. So I don't know. Maybe. But Pittsburgh's still not on the map. They're bottom tier when you look at the leagues. I think they sit middle of the pack as far as revenue income. 12 or 15 years, though, like they were. They were right at the top or at least in the middle. In the middle. They were never at the top. You can't compete with the big market. You can't compete with the Maple Leafs, Rangers, Blackhawks, Canadians. That's just something you you can't do. You, You don't have the corporate sponsors around you. To give you fifty million dollars, you you don't have Scotiabank lining up to sponsor the Penguins. What's the, what's their rink's name? Some paint or something? P and G? I don't know what it is. PNC. It ain't Scotiabank. Yeah. It ain't Bell. It ain't Molson. You know what I mean? It's not the United Center. Those are big corporations, multi-billion-dollar corporations who sponsor those big teams. You're not going into Anaheim or Dallas. Or these small market teams, maybe Dallas is the wrong example, but like Winnipeg, you know, it's not a big market. Anyways, moving on. Good for hockey, though. Very exciting. Let me ask one more thing about the escrow thing. So if this does get paid off this season, how big of a deal is that to the players in the league right now? What does that mean for them for next year to come into the the following season with a blank slate? Well, they'll still have escrow, but it won't be as high because they won't have a debt to be paid. The debt will be incurred from that season. So escrow usually, it's it's a floating number based on how the league's projecting that season. Q1, it'll usually be high. It'll be 11 to 12%. You check Q2, how are we doing? How are ticket sales? You'll reevaluate. You'll adjust the escrow accordingly. It'll either go up or down. Q3 usually stays the same. And then Q4, if you think you're going to be really short, it'll bump up a bunch. When I played early on, it was around 7 8%. As the years went on, it jumped up for some reason, I think because we had expansion teams and they were just garbage. 11, 12 was my high watermark. The escrow was 20%, I believe, the last few years. Like that's, that's a lot. So the escrow will go down. It'll be good for the players because they won't be paying that huge debt. I felt bad for players coming into the league. Your first couple years, you're, you're a young kid, you're getting these paychecks and all of a sudden you're whacked with a 20% escrow on something you have no control over whatsoever. You're a rookie, you're coming into this league and you're paying off the debt of a guy who made a mistake signing this contract two years ago when there was a lockout and there was a COVID thing and uh, terrible, terrible price to pay. It was like in 2004, I talked to Fernando Pisani. They locked out the whole season. They wanted to get back to business. The owners wanted the salary cap. They wanted to put a, you know, a cap on spending. So the deal that they agreed to was we're going to put a hard cap and we're going to cut salaries by 25%. Was it Ethan Morrow? It might've been Ethan Morrow for the Oilers. He had just signed a big deal. It was like a four or five year deal, $8 million per. He's like, I woke up the next day. I had lost $2 million for my contract every single year. Whereas if I would have waited, I would have signed for way more. So it really hurts a lot of people in these situations, but what are you going to do? Not everybody can be happy, right, Tim? 
Well, one more, maybe this is a stupid question, but does the escrow stuff only impact active players or are like alumni impacted by this at all? Only active players on active contracts. Okay. So yeah, it doesn't affect me at all. It was one of the nicer things was at the end of the season, once all the numbers were settled and this and that in the middle of the summer, you would get your escrow check because you always inevitably pay more. You never want to have to ask the players for money. It's like, Hey, we owe another 30,000 per player. Can you guys cough that up? The players wouldn't pay it. If you're retiring, if you're not sure you're going to get a contract next year, it's like, you know, kick rocks. So you would always pay more at the middle of the summer. Once all the teams submitted their books, once we got done auditing, you'd get this nice check for however, however much it was, because you would just, you know, get a percentage of money back. That was, that was very nice to get that check, but no alumni, retired players, they, they don't have to pay into that stuff. So life was good back then. I tell you what, just getting random checks in the mail for like 40 grand. I was like, (laughs) fantastic. Now what, what I would do for 40,000 now, you don't even want to know Tim. It's scary. I don't want to know how, so let's, how would like, he, he talked about, uh, Batman talked about expansion teams too. How would that impact some of the, the, the finances that we're talking about? Well, again, why, why, why is he talking about this? I know a lot of pundits have been ta- talking about this because you know, the season's almost here. There's not much to talk about just yet. And this is the new story. It should not be a story whatsoever. They, they should not expand. That's my opinion. Why Tim? You have a good thing going. You know, I think the league's in a good spot. You have 32 teams. Why not help some of the franchises that need it? Why not go after some of these markets that are just not succeeded? The ones I mentioned, Arizona, Florida, San Jose, Carolina, Tampa Bay. All these teams have something in common. They're all in the South, the lower 48. Go help these franchises. Is that right? The lower 48? No. but What does that pertain to? Is that States? That's just what the continental it? U.S. Yeah, yeah, they're in the lower forty-eight. Okay, isn't that right? I think I'm right. If no, I'm wrong, correct. It doesn't me. refer to the South. It refers to the continental U.S. Doesn't matter. Keep going. Anyways, help those franchises relocate those franchises rather than bringing two more or four more franchises into the league, and then we become almost like a laughing stock for the big four. It's like, oh, now you guys got 34, 36 franchises, but you still make the least. You're the least desirable fran- sporting franchise in all of the big four. You're maybe bumped from the big four. Soccer continues to grow in popularity. I, I don't understand why this is even a topic of conversation. And the teams that they're bandying about, the cities, excuse me, that they're talking about, don't make, don't make much sense to me. Houston, I don't think it would work. I really don't. They had the Houston Arrows back in the day in the IHL. That was fun. Gordy Howe and his sons played on that team. I played for the Houston Arrows. It was good. It's not a hockey market. It really isn't. The Rockets can barely be successful in Houston, and they have a fantastic um, community around them. It's a football baseball town. They, I don't think hockey will work in Houston. It's a massive market. I think Houston is third biggest in the States, Tim. Like I get, I get what Bettman's trying to do there. I don't see it being successful. And I say this because my first year in Houston, we had a pretty good team. We would average around five, 6,000 fans a game, which was good for the AHL, but we played in an NHL rink. We played at Target Center, huge stadium, 20, 30,000 seats. Come playoff time, you think we would get more fans. We went from 6,000 a night to 1,000. Why? Baseball starting, football starting, 
People are going outside doing those activities. They dropped hockey like a bad habit. Just who cares? No one came to the game. And we're in the playoffs. So we would get the 1,000 fans who were diehard Houston Arrow fans. Everybody else who was just, you know, come for a night out with the family. There was other stuff to do. It's not a hockey town. The Atlanta. Atlanta Thrashers. Atlanta Flames. What? Can you believe that they're even thinking about putting another team in Atlanta? Third time's a charm, maybe? Well, it's just such a huge city and huge market, and, and sports do so well there. So I understand like the appeal of it, but yeah, you've tried this multiple times, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't I don't work. How about Charlotte? It. Right? There, I just don't get it. I think the only viable cities that would work, I know Portland's been talked about. That would be a good market. I know Salt Lake City. They have a brand new arena. That would work there. In my eyes, you put another team in Toronto. It's, it's a guaranteed market. You know you're going to get corporate sponsors. You'll get sold-out rinks every single night. You kick around Quebec City again. It's a smaller market. But there has to be the trifecta. You have to have an NHL rink. You have to have an arena that's already up and running. And you have to have an owner who's committed to keeping that team there. Those are the three things that you need to start a franchise. And I don't think any of these cities have that in place. What's the biggest Canadian city that doesn't have an NHL team? Oh boy, that doesn't have an NHL team. You go from west to east. Yeah, it's Vancouver, Edmonton, to Calgary. You kind of skip past Saskatchewan because that doesn't have a big city. Then you're in Winnipeg. It's the Toronto area because the Golden Horseshoe has so many people living there. It's Hamilton. Yeah. It's the Niagara, Niagara region. Could support a team. Even then you go north from Toronto, you get into mississauga you go to scarborough the surrounding areas like those could all support nhl teams there's so many people in those areas and then you go montreal's got a team and then you go out east and i don't think anybody wants to put a team out east it's just the travel maybe the i don't know like halifax could you do one there i, I don't think so st john's would love one but i don't think they have the population to support it so it's really in toronto la the, you know the clippers and the lakers you got the giants and the jets for football you got the Rangers and the Devils and the Islanders and New York. You you have markets sustaining multiple teams. It's it's not outrageous to think two teams couldn't coexist in Toronto. They definitely could. But I think the big sticking point now is Vegas came in, they paid $500 million expansion fee. Seattle came in three years later, it was $650 million. Batman said it's going to be a lot higher than that. It's going to be $1 billion. So it'll be a lot of money for an owner to even think about bringing a team to the NHL. $1 billion, Tim, is a lot of money. I don't know how many billionaires are in the United States. I think it's a couple hundred, maybe more. I don't know. That's a lot of money to risk on putting an NHL franchise somewhere. You have to be passionate about hockey. You have to go in expecting to lose money and not make a huge profit, break even. I don't know. I I think you don't start talking about expansion teams until (laughs) 10 years from now. I just don't know why he's doing it. I think 32 is even a stretch for teams. And then, that, and here, does it dilute the product on the ice? You add more teams, you're adding more players. Does the product suffer? Do you think there's enough good players to have a good product on the ice? Yeah, because you're talking about like, that's going to be spread out across all the teams from the expansion draft and in the following years, the free agency trades, all that. It's not like the new teams will have the next best players in the world. It's going to be like everyone's, I don't know, the bottom 
fifth or sixth defenseman might become the fourth and fifth defenseman. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be minimal. It's not going to be like it's all of a sudden there's teams that just can't put out NHL caliber players. It's just going to impact everyone just a little bit. I think that would be fine. Yeah. I do think hockey is one of the few sports where they do have a deep pool to pull from. When you look at football, baseball, basketball, maybe basketball has the exception because they have leagues over in Europe, but like football and baseball, you there's no minor league systems really that built in. For some reason, hockey is is really well liked around the world and football and baseball are more... Baseball. Baseball is. And they baseball, have a massive guess, minor league system. They have three leagues. Plus all the independents. I, I guess they do. Yeah. Well, maybe it's, it's just football. It seems inevitable because LeBron said yesterday that it was a matter of when, not if, these new expansion teams get added. And Batman was asked about it. He basically said it's not on the agenda today for this for this meeting, but it's coming for sure. It's just it's greed. They want more money. I think that's the end game from this. But why? I just I don't know. Stick with what's working. I, I don't think you have perfect franchises in 32 cities. So why not just tinker with that and make it work in these cities? And if it doesn't, then you move a franchise instead of bringing in four new franchises or two new franchises or whatever it may be. I don't know. doesn't make sense to me. All right. Give better, Tim, our new sponsor. Very excited. We mentioned them last episode. We're going to mention them every single episode. So get ready for this. I love them. You love them. Sports gambling is a thing of the now. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's winning. Everybody's losing. Here's the great thing about give better. And it's B-E-T-T-O-R, not better. It's better. The great thing about give better is when you lose, your losses turn into charitable donations. So every time you lose a bet, every time you have a bad beat, every time you wake up and your guy didn't put up a certain amount of points or your team didn't didn't make the spread, 25% of those losses, Tim, go to a charity of your choice. And guess what? We're not done yet. With those charitable losses, you can write it off on your tax returns. It's a win-win-win. It's a You're going to bet. Why not use Give Better? 25% goes to charity. You can write it off on your tax returns. It's fantastic. It doesn't take much to sign up. You go to givebetter.com. Make sure you tell them that we sent you and, and you're on your way. You're still betting. You're just using this app. Tell them we sent you. It's live in Canada right now. Unfortunately, it's coming to the U.S. soon. I think January 1 is the release date there. We'll give you more information, but you can go and pre-register just to get yourself in line because it's going to be the biggest betting platform in the world once people start to realize why you should use this system. It's a good thing. Everybody's doing it, right, Tim? So why not jump on early with us to drop in the gloves? Yeah, you know, I like this the gamble on sports, but I lose. Always. I'm such a bad better. But now 25% of those losses could go to my favorite charity, which I need to think about. We're going to give those to once the games start next week. Yep. Register at givebetter.com and start turning your losses into tax deductible charitable donations. It's pretty smart. Yeah. And tell them we sent you. Helps us out. Anyways, help yourself out. Help us out. Pick a good charity and do something good, you filthy animals. All right. Moving on. Los Angeles Kings have re-signed Todd McClellan to a one-year extension. What do you think about this, Tim? A one-year extension just seems weird for a coach, doesn't it? It is weird for a team. For, I mean, he's, he's they've been competitive. They're going to make the playoffs again. One year is not a huge vote of confidence. Just like, okay, let's see what you do. So that's a little strange to me. I, I like the extension, but the fact that it's only one is is kind of bizarre. Never good for player or coach or anybody when you just say, hey, here's one year with the new Chicago gig the TV. They're like, we only do one-year contracts. I'm like, 
Really? <laughs> or you just say that to me? <laughs> I don't know. That's that the truth. Are you guys telling me the truth? Anyways, moving on. Another signing in the California, great state of California. Jamie Drysdale finally ended his RFA holdout. He's been working out in Toronto, getting ready for the season. He signed a very, very underwhelming number. Three years, $2.3 million for this kid. He obviously has had some injury issues the last couple of years. He's been out of the lineup, but when healthy, his rookie year, he proved that he's a very valuable piece for this Anaheim Mighty Ducks team. Three years, $2.3 million, Tim. What do you make of this and Zegers' contract for the Anaheim Ducks? Well, it's good. It's good for the team, obviously. It's good for both players to get him, both sides, I mean, to get him locked up. It's a low number for him, but... As as high as as his I don't know his his hype was he hasn't really translated yet I wouldn't say that well that might be too harsh but he hasn't seen a lot of ice time yet he's had some injury stuff he's on a tough team he's got thirty three points in one hundred and thirteen games not bad I'm sorry forty points thirty three assists as a, a defenseman he's twenty one years old still so he's in a huge part of their franchise moving forward but the timing of that with with uh, Zegers is kind of strange not the timing of when they sign but when their contracts end right John. Yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting few years for the Ducks. I think they're, like we talked about a few episodes ago, maybe even last episode after the Zegers signing. I like what Verbeek's done, but it puts them in an interesting situation in 25-26. We mentioned the salary cap's going to be through the roof. By that time, it could even be $95-100 million. Who knows how the league's going to trend? They could be potentially setting themselves up for a huge decision-making offseason after 25-26. These guys are both going to want 9 to $10 million in that offseason because we're going to see next year and the year after and the year after, the AAV of players of their ilk will be $9-10-11-12 million. We saw Matthew sign for, what, 13.5? That mark will, will last for one year. Next year, it's going to be surpassed by some guy. I don't know who the UFAs are next year, but he'll be overtaken. So what do you do? This, this is the, the crux of these RFAs. Do you sign them to a long-term deal, $8, 9000000 million for eight years, or do you do what Verbeek did? You get them on a good deal for three years. 2.2, 2.3 is nothing for Drysdale. The guy's going to be your first power play. He's going to play 23 minutes a game. This is a steal of a deal for the Anaheim Ducks for the next three years. Like th- This is outrageous that he's making less than Radko Gudis and Cam Fowler and Ilya Labushkin on the back end and he will be your best defenseman or do you sign them to an eight year, $8 million deal? And maybe he doesn't pan out. Maybe you end up with a Josh Norris in Ottawa who's injured and could potentially never play. And you're stuck on the hook paying him for the next seven years, seven point some million dollars. So there's the goods and bads of those numbers. So I don't know what the answer is right now. Pat for beak in my eyes looks like a smart guy. He's got two of his best forwards or two of his best players locked up for a combined $8 million. They're young, they're exciting, they're very valuable pieces. So in three years, we'll see how it works out. He could end up paying through the nose because they've just exploded. And now they're these superstars and you have to give them $12, $13 million or you have to let them walk. So we'll see how it pans out. But right now, for the next three years, if they can build around these two guys, they're going to be dangerous. They're going to be very dangerous. You'll have John Gibson still in his prime potentially in 25, 26. He's only 30. You have a star defenseman and a star forward making that little amount, Tim. It's, it looks good for the next three years, but 25, 26 will be a different story when these guys are knocking on your door saying, hey, yeah, 12 million bucks. Or I'm gone. Or I'm going to be... Well, that's the thing. Zegers will still be an RFA and so will Drysdale. I like this this move from for Beak. 
very smart. I don't know what the GM or the uh, agent of these two guys is thinking. So good on Rubik. He held his ground. He said, uh, he took a rate to the wire. The season starts tomorrow. So good for him. Out of curiosity, I looked over on Cap Friendly to see who the UFAs are going to be next year, or the RFAs, I guess. I don't think we'll see anyone that tops like Matthew's number. There's Stamkos, Pedersen, Nylander, um, Hellebuck, Shifley, Gensel, Darlene could be a high number. Uh, then, then a bunch of just, you know, role players and stuff. So I don't think we'll see any new record sent this coming offseason. I, I, you say that, but when you have an extra $5 million to spend, that number doesn't go to the middle class. It goes to the high class, like it goes to the top end guys. You're going to see the the top ten percent increase their salary, and then everybody else just gets lower and lower and lower. There will be no middle class, and we're seeing this every single year when you look at teams and their contracts. It's like a handful of guys make eight and above, and then the rest are like two million dollars or below. There's no four, five, three million dollar class anymore in the NHL. So I, I think we could justifiably say Rosmis Dahlin could go into uh, Kevin Adams' office and say, I want $14 million for eight years. That would not surprise me whatsoever. I know you think it's crazy, but he could say, hey, the salary cap just raised by $4.5 million this year. It's going to continue to rise for the next eight years. I want a good fair market value for my player for the next eight years. He's 23 years old. He's coming off a season that he was a Norris Trophy candidate. He made 73 points in 78 games, and he's only improving. $14 million in five years is going to be a steal for this guy when the cap is going to be at $100 million. I don't know. It doesn't seem outrageous to me that he's going to be making that much money next year. Right? Yeah, especially when he's entering a contract season. He's going to have a monster year. I'm going to target him in every fantasy league, by the way. We have our league starting up on Monday. Are you going to be there? Are you going to come to the draft? How do people sign up for that, Tim? Are we just leaving an open sign up for everybody and their no, brother? It's, I had people DM me, but it's full because we could only fit 12 people. So all the spots are taken, but hopefully you, you come, John. Um, to answer your thing. question, no, I will not be at the draft. 8 Monday at 8 p.m.? Yep. No, Monday night yeah. football. Do it you're on your phone that? while you're watching the game. I uh, don't have that app on my phone. Or a TV. So. Or a TV, it's a lifestyle choice. I'll be listening on the radio to the Monday night game, and I don't have storage on my phone for that kind of app load. It's listening on the radio, it. sitting by the fire, filling out Sudokus. Sounds nice. Oh, I, I haven't done a Sudoku in a while. I used to love crosswords. I used to love Sudokus. That was the I one do them every morning. Do you really? Yeah. I have a little, like, yeah, little morning. There's like Wordle, which is you probably don't know, but there's... Uh, crosswords, like different New York Times, like little mind games like that. And then I do the Puck Doku. I don't always get it, though. It's hard. Do you do the Puck Doku? I, I haven't done it in a while. I still have to make a grid for those guys. They asked me to do one like a month and a half ago. I'll do it for you. You should just do it for me. Anyways, um, one last thing. I saw a clip. Um, Greg Wachinski's show. I forget the name of it. But Corey Snyder was on the other day. And he was, and he was asked about like how the league changed over his career and he talked about kind of what you talked about many times is like when we started out when he and he's not that old he probably came up in like 2010 2012 like he's not he's not he wasn't around forever but he was like yeah when we come up it was just the scoring lines and the top two lines and you had the grinders and the checkers so there's really only six ish guys <clears throat> that you had to worry about as a goalie at any given night and the other guys were just like maybe one goal a game across both of those lines total 
would be yeah. huge for them, right? And it was more just like the puck was down that end of the ice and he didn't have to worry about it. And he's like, now it's everyone. Like now you got fourth liners just doing moves that the best players couldn't do 20 years ago. It's crazy. So I thought that was well, really interesting. I just think the the culture of the game has changed and, and it starts from the minor leagues. And you, I think you're seeing the fruits of getting rid of, I don't want to say checking, but they, they moved back to checking age substantially. When I was a kid, you started to learn how to check in like squirts, mites, just the basics of bumping and rubbing. And then you started hitting a peewee and then it was, you know, off to the races. They pushed that back. They got rid of fighting altogether in the junior ranks, junior C, junior B, junior A, all of that. Fighting has been eliminated in the OHL now, the Q, the dub. There's very strict penalties. So what, what do you do when you don't have to hit and you don't have to fight? You just work on your hands all day. So it's just created, basically, what it'll be in 10 years is four first lines. It'll just be skill, 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 right? Like your fourth line guy is, is filthy hands on him. When I came into the league, the fifth and sixth defensemen, high and hard off the glass, can opener, that's all they knew how to do. The fourth, the third and fourth line was just like checkers. They go out and bury guys and fight and work hard and kill penalties, and that was it. You remember um, Corey, <laughs> I want to say Corey Potter, was that his name, defenseman? Yep. yep. <laughs> For Edmonton. Um, I think he was, I saw a tweet like years ago, 10 plus years ago, early days of Twitter. Someone tweeted at him and was roasting him for having a really flat curve on his stick. And he responded with like, you don't need much curve to get it off the glass and out. That's all he said. That's that's probably his, 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 his whole game at that point, you know? Well, that's what I was taught to do early in my career. It's like, just get, make sure you don't throw it out because you get a penalty. But yeah. it was the Ken Danico thing. It's like when in doubt, just high and hard off the glass. Like, well, it was a very smart play. You never had to make a tape, tape pass because you go high and hard, you change and you be done with your shift. So <laughs> the game has changed. It really has changed over the last 20 years. I think for the better. I'm not yeah. one of these guys who looks back with rose colored glasses and says hockey was in a great space. You know, it was so fun to watch. You go back and watch a game from the early 2000s and 90s and 80s. All you see is clutching and grabbing and hooking. It's amazing how, how hard it was to go through the neutral zone, let alone into the offensive zone. As soon as you cross that blue line into the offensive zone, somebody was water skiing off of you. Like you were getting hooked, you were getting slashed, you were getting held. The points that those guys put up with, with that amount of checking and hooking and grabbing is crazy. You put like Yager, Pavel Bure, Alexander McGillney in today's NHL. Yeah, so but hard. it's also so it's hard. balanced off by how good the goalies are <laughs> and how big they are and how big their pads are. I saw his yeah, dad the Wah, other day. The, Wah the Wah average... was good back then. Yeah, right. I mean, there's exceptions. The best, the best of all time are yeah. the best. But like every goal, like I don't know if you took all the goalies from now and all the goalies from 1980, wouldn't you think that maybe two or three of them come before any of the goalies now? Yeah, and the rest yeah. of everyone else is better. Yeah, everything's gotten a little bit better, but I just I don't think the goaltending from 80s to now has progressed more than talent and just the rules change the lack of the red line opening up of the game the get ridding of the hooking the grabbing like that's opened things up so much what would be interesting if connor mcdavid were to go back into those times how he would how he would handle it right because you 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 couldn't go through the d zone and the neutral zone without someone like hacking or slashing or hooking you it's so defeating when you start to get up to speed and someone just goes no back to square one there goes all your speed like you couldn't wind it up. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't a thing. Like Patty Kane, 
once those rules came into play, our play was, all right, we'll go D to D. Kaner, you're going to swing behind us, and we'll just give you the puck in full speed. And if it wasn't him, it was Hosa, it was Sharp, it was Gabrick, it was uh, Richards. It was all these like speedsters that you would just let them rip, Tater Chip, and you couldn't touch them. Because if you if you put a stick on them, it's a penalty. It was unfair. Rick Nash, his own, his play in New York, in Columbus, was he would go flying down the wing. They would post a guy right in the center dot. The D-man would fire it to him. He would either angle it off to Rick Nash, or he would dump it in that corner, and Rick Nash would get to it first. It was an unstoppable play because you can't touch Rick Nash, and you, you're not going to guard this guy at the center dot just standing there. And he would just, boop, chip it over to Nash. He got so many breakaways that way. That's incredible how fast that guy was for his size. <sighs> Scary. But yeah. I don't know. Just Love a little it. comment on it. Thanks for bringing that up. I like comparing past to present, don't you? I think hockey's in a great spot, but the the uh, the third and fourth line have drastically changed over the last few years, and I don't think they're going to go back. Unfortunately, yeah. I just see like who's the next team that's going to win the cup, and then there's always a cycle, right? Everyone wants to model after that team, and however they had their franchise and their roster and all that. So it could change, but over time, it's still going to go. It still only moves in one direction, you know? Yeah, I think people have really tried to model themselves after Tampa Bay, and they looked at how they won it, and it was their third and fourth line. They had production throughout the lineup, and I think teams saw that, and they go, oh, well, we don't need a tough guy. They had Pat Maroon, but Pat Maroon was on their first power play unit, you know? So Corey Perry was on the – well, not Corey Perry. It was uh, Gaudreau. It was Coleman. It was Gord. It was these guys who were the ones who were carrying the weight for the majority of the playoff runs, so – that's what teams are doing. They're getting rid of the the slow plotting fourth line, third line guys who just are one dimensional. And now you look at the lineups of every team in the league, and it's like you have talent all over the lineup, top to bottom. It's it's very impressive the high end teams when you can look at their lineup. But this year, this is how scary it is for the Leafs. Willie Nylander or John Tavares is going to be their third line center if they continue to keep Nylander at center, which they've done all through training camp. The Leafs' third line right now is Robertson, Nylander, and Domi. What team can compete with that? Not Nobody. Boston. <laughs> Not Boston. They got no. Bertuzzi, Matthews, Marner, first line. You got Matthew Nyes, who exploded in the playoffs, and Tavares really and Lafferty, Lafferty on the second line. And you got Robertson, Nylander, and Domi as your third line. That could be the second line. They can you know interchange each other. But that's, that's a dangerous top three. There's no other team that in my eyes can compete with that. Plus you got just, Revo protecting them all, too. If he even makes a team tip, like he he will be put on waivers. Three-year deal, right? I know. They're going to put him on waivers to give him flexibility. He will be bouncing back and forth between himself and the Marlies or the Leafs and the Marlies throughout the whole season. I think just for salary cap reasons. But yeah, he he's going to have an interesting transaction record after this season. He's going to be all over. Sent down, called up, sent down, called up. It's going to be a... <laughs> he's not going to leave the Leafs, but... I mean, the LA Kings, I just pulled up their roster. They got Philip Deneau, Victor Arvidsson, Trevor Moore in the third line. You got bringing Dubois, you got Kopitar. Like, it's the talent. Some of these teams amass is just incredible. Uh, it's fun to watch. Imagine that finals. Bedman, we wouldn't be able to sit down on his seat to be so wet. LA Toronto in the finals. The markets, LA and Toronto, Tim. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, as a hockey fan, though, there's more exciting matchups, you know. The it Kings. would be 
the definition of a defensive-minded team with Kopitar and Deneau versus a juggernaut <laughs> offensive team with Marner, Matthews, Tavares, Nylander. It would be fun to watch a te- chess match between those teams. Which is how they did it in 2012 and 14 was that defensive yeah. game. Not to mention they got an MTU defenseman on the back end with Matt Raw. Oh, and they got an MTU goaltender, Nat Phoenix Copley. I can't wait till there's an MTU guy holding the cup again. I think the last one who did it was uh, Randy McKay. Oh, devils. We got to get up to Michigan Tech, Tim. It'll be fun. Do a road trip. Well, I'm coming to Travers next weekend, so we'll see you soon. Uh, you will see us. And then people will see us in person together, holding hands, maybe. That'll be fun. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us here. Nice Friday. Check us out on YouTube. Leave some comments for us. It's fun for us to read. We'll bring it up on the show. Give you a little props. But anyways, have a good weekend. Long weekend. Columbus Day. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 